Basically, at career fairs, employers will be like, hey, we really wanted to interview your your students, right? But they had all the hard skills necessary, but they just didn't have the soft skills. And that's why we couldn't offer them an interview, couldn't offer them a job. And all I want to say is you don't want to be that person where like you had everything on your resume, you had everything right, but you just didn't have the soft skills or, you know, potentially the leadership experiences that would make you different from every other candidate. Welcome to It's Material World, the show that uncovers why material science will change the world with your hosts, Pranithi Padia and Tom Miller. In today's episode, professional development for materials engineering students. All right, everyone. So today we are changing it up a little bit. There is no guest for today's episode. And instead, Puneeth and I will be discussing some thoughts with respect to professional development as an engineering student. Since we're both recently wrapped up with undergrad, we hope to share our experiences on this topic because we think it is quite relevant to our current stages of life. So <laughs> without further ado, let's let's get into it. Yeah, it's been huge recently. And just for our audience's sake, when we say professional development, we're talking about how students and professionals can expand their skill sets to be better suited to reach future opportunities. Obviously, personal and professional growth are super important. And so that's why we wanted to talk about this. And, you know, we as engineering students find this to be particularly important because this is how you either get a job or you get into grad school or, you know, you open up doors and opportunities to really be able to apply your engineering education, which you worked so hard to get, <laughs> to really be able to make a positive impact on the world. And so this is something that we hear about time and time again in undergrad. And sometimes it feels like we're getting beat over the head with it, but <laughs> it's important nonetheless. And so we want to provide it from the perspective of, of fellow students or people who have recently come out of this experience to keep it maybe a little bit more pertinent to the current right. day and age. Right. Yeah. And, you know, this quote always resonates with me, but basically it's like, if you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. And so we kind of yeah. just want to provide that some sort of avenues or examples of our pathways to just give everybody else an idea of a potential method of success or just really just sharing our advice and our experiences. And that's why we, why we're doing this. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I really like that quote too. It's uh, something I think you told me back in, I think it's something you told me back in maybe September when we were talking about like goals for the podcast I think and maybe stuff it was like that in particular. Also in our internship. Like I feel like there oh, was someone in GE who who said that and it just yeah. it resonated with me and I know it resonated with you too. Yeah. No, <laughs> it's definitely like it's it's a good it provides a really good motivation as to why goals are just so important or you know, trying to think about where you want your life to be in this very abstract sense. It's really important. For sure. Um, but that's a little bit of a tangent. I digress. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I think the first topic here we want to get into is I think Puneeth and I both gained tremendously from having hands-on learning experiences throughout our undergraduate education in a, yeah. in a number of ways. And so Puneeth, do you want to get us cracking there? Sure. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind when you think of hands-on experiences, well, for me is internships. You know, that's a way to really get involved and see the real world impact of some of the things that you learn in class. Tom, you mentioned 
earlier when we were talking about this, how your internships with GE have shown you how like fatigue and mechanical behavior really are important when you're, when you're looking at fractography and stuff like that um, from the powder metallurgy standpoint at GE Additive. And I thought that was super cool. And even from my standpoint at Solvay, my materials characterization class, that's a lot of what I did at my internship at in the polymer characterization laboratory. And it was really cool to actually see that theory put in place and yeah. see that impact that, in my case, the, the polymers were making in various applications. It was just super cool. Yeah. And I think the, the crazy thing about some of those internship experiences was that a lot of times I'd be doing work at work. I know that's a little redundant, <laughs> but I'd be studying some material science principle at work that I hadn't learned yet in class. And mm -hmm. so I learned about fatigue at GE Additive before I learned about it in my mechanical behavior class. Also partially because I took some of my courses out of order, but that's, that's a different <laughs> story. Um, but it was really interesting because I had this great introduction about fatigue in the professional setting. And I had a, a great, you know, scientific backing of it from some of my colleagues there. And when I got into it in my coursework, I sort of had the context there, right. Of saying, right. I understand or not, not like deeply understand, right. I'm once again, bachelor's of science students, we're not talking <laughs> like Mr. PhD here, but you know, all that aside, I had this contextual understanding as to why we should care about fatigue as material science students. Right. And I really enjoyed my coursework that it pertains to mechanical behavior of materials, but you know, sometimes that no matter even how well the professor can explain it or try to throw in a slide or two about where the context matters, having that hands-on experience to say, oh, this matters for designing some part in an additive setting, you know, and that was, that was fantastic. And so I think that's something we'll come back to a lot during this, but context really matters. And for especially sure. in a field like material science, which can be kind of, for lack of better words, let's say a little bit nebulous, you know, we're talking about <laughs> things at the nanoscale, at the micro scale, it can be hard sometimes to think about why does this matter? And yeah. that context is crucial. Yeah. And I was kind of on the flip side of that, where I took classes before I would have an internship where that was applied. And so I would learn all the theory and I would be like, sometimes I would just wonder, why is this important? How does yeah. this show up in the real world? And I would kind of be confused by that, or that would be blurry for me. But then when I had that internship, it really just like, made a lot of things click. And it was kind of that, oh, moment in my head where it's like, yeah. oh, okay, I yeah, got yeah. it now. I got it now. This is why this makes sense. I and mean, this is why this is important. And so that was just super cool to me, that clicking moment. And I think that yeah. also appears in makerspaces. And you know, you know a ton about makerspaces, Mr. Uh, CEO, <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah. So I, I know that internships aren't easy to get. Like, trust me, I know that, but um, right. makerspaces, and getting involved in makerspaces at your school is a super effective way to get that hands-on experience as well. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And, you know, we were really fortunate at our school that there was a ton of opportunities to get involved with makerspaces. And, For sure. you know, I'm, I'm don't know just because I'm biased. I don't know as much about other engineering schools, but I know it's a growing paradigm for involvement in makerspaces, broadly speaking. And, yeah, I mean, it's just another one of those ways to provide that context, right? And even in a lot of ways, even more so, right? Because industry is great and there's a lot of great opportunities to learn there. And there's a lot of funding there that maybe you don't always get in the academic setting per se, mm -hmm. which correlates to makerspace funding. But right. 
The great thing about them, though, is because it can be a little smaller, it is a little bit more academic, you can really do pretty much anything as long as you're safe while you're doing it and you kind of have the right approval to do so. And that was that was a tremendous experience for me to learn as well. And yeah. it was not only useful for me to learn, but also, you know, the, there tends to be a lower barrier to entry on that thing, right? For sure. It's easier to get into a makerspace. It's easier to to do that sort of thing in your undergraduate experience compared to getting an internship, <laughs> which we'll talk a little bit more about later, we can assure you. Yeah, I think for me, it was just sending an email and or maybe yeah. sign it, <laughs> filling out a Google form. And it was like, okay, you're in. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. And yeah, if only really... getting an internship was that yeah. easy, but it's not. I wish. <laughs> <laughs> um, but for sure. And another example of like getting that context before learning something was, I think this is the summer after my freshman year, I was doing undergraduate research and I was studying the crystallography of indium tin oxide ceramics, which I was by no means like a super skilled researcher back then. And, you know, that research didn't necessarily culminate to anything super tremendous, but it did really help me cultivate some of my early skills, which, you know, helped me set up for other opportunities. Oh, yeah. But all that being said, what was great about that is I was doing this technique called the XRD, which stands for X-ray diffraction. And if you're a material science student, you've definitely heard of it. It's just kind of one of those bread and butter techniques. But for those of you who haven't, what it is, it's essentially you have some sort of specimen, you put it inside of a chamber, you bombard it with X-rays, the X-rays interact with the material in some characteristic way. Those X-rays, right, get diffracted off the surface, get absorbed <laughs> by some sort of detector, which is well-engineered to detect these sorts of things. And you get a characteristic set of data, spectrum, which can, yeah. right, spectra, which can tell you about the tell you about the crystal structure of your material yes. in this characteristic way. And what was great though, is that I did an XRD. I was playing around with an XRD this two semesters before I learned about it in class. And it was great because when we got to class, XRD is kind of this nebulous thing once again. And I was able to say, oh yeah, I've done that, you know, and it helped me grasp the theory maybe a little bit better than my classmates at that time. You know, I'm not saying that I'm Albert Einstein by any means, <laughs> but it, it helps, right? It just helps right. to have that context. And so in undergraduate curriculums in the future, trying to find those different ways to provide that hands-on context before the fact, because I think it can be a lot more powerful potentially, especially if it's within the field that you're interested in. Yeah. And that's why it's so important to have those hands-on materials characterization, materials techniques, specifically for this field is because yeah. that's kind of what employers are looking for. Really, everybody is going to have the course backgrounds, the different theories. They'll take those classes, right? Yeah. But it's up to you to figure out the, the hands-on side of things. You know, I know that for me, doing research and also getting involved in maker spaces, measurement spaces, I learned a lot of characterization techniques like scanning electron microscopy and just general optical microscopy, hardness testers, FTIR, things of that nature, right? You name and, it. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of them, but they, they all came into play. And when I had that phone call interview, I was able to talk about that. And they were like, cool, you'd be a good fit because you already have this experience. And so it'll be easier to teach you basically. And just like in general, material science is kind of that versatile field, but it's very niche. And so as more people learn about it and realize they need it, that's where you come into play. You know, you can make that difference. And if you have this broad range of skills, then you'll be golden, right? You'll, yeah. you'll, you'll be highly sought after. So that's why it's super important. <laughs> You know, we've spent a lot of time here talking about 
sort of these hard skills, right? The things you throw on the resume, maybe your skills section says like, <laughs> I can do SEM, FTIR, 3D printing, um, 3D printing <laughs> you name it, right? Like those things are there perhaps on my resume as well. But, you know, those are the hard skills. And, you know, oftentimes I think we've definitely heard about this coming coming up through the ranks of our undergraduate experience. But I mean, certainly it's not always something that gets enough emphasis, which is this whole side of soft skills too. I mean, my God, that stuff is important because <laughs> it is so important. It is because, you know, it's like for all intents and purposes, they can automate doing SEM and XRD in the next 20, 30 years with how things are progressing. We don't know, but being able to really be a human and really be a cooperative scientist or engineer is, is really crucial in being successful wherever you go in the field. Right. You, you have to have soft skills, whether you're going into industry or whether you're going into grad school, it cuts mm-hmm. the same way. And one of the great ways to be able to do that in undergraduate experience or even outside of undergrad is leadership, you know, taking on leadership roles, leadership positions, or starting up your own ventures, like a podcast, who knows? <laughs> who would do that? <laughs> who would do that? Um, but all that aside is, you know, the best way to learn is by doing, I guess that's kind of been the whole the spiel of this whole subset of topics here, but particularly with, with soft skills, right? You know, the easiest way to learn how to lead a team is to lead a team. You know, you could, you could read 20 books about leading <laughs> a team and you could, you could take a test on that book 20 times over, but you ain't going to be any good at leading a team until you do <laughs> And particularly as an undergrad, there's a ton of ways to be able to get involved in, and our school of material science and engineering had a ton of organizations. Mm-hmm. So you could kind of stick in that niche of the material science and engineering fields, but you know, wherever you can find an opportunity to be a leader, I think it's deeply valuable to learn how to lead a team, learn how to cooperate, learn how to solve conflicts in the professional setting, you know, differing opinions or different points of view. I mean, that stuff is super important and really cultivating those skills and also learning just how to keep a team organized and you know, going back to what Puni said earlier, I really do like that quote about knowing where you're going and setting that out in advance and a good leader can keep you towards that path. And then beyond the undergraduate experience, something I'm starting to get a vision into moving into full-time is at bigger companies, they tend to have these smaller employee groups or some call them like affinity groups, but mm-hmm. different companies like brand them different ways. But those are, there are also opportunities in those sorts of ways to get leadership positions or, you know, help build community within a a company or an organization. And certainly if you're in grad school, there's student organizations again as well. So, you know, look for those opportunities to keep developing soft skills. For sure. And I just wanted to reemphasize the importance of learning by doing like that is really the best way to learn in, in my opinion. And it's super important to have those soft skills. Like I know I mentioned that, you know, everybody will be taking classes and to an extent people will be learning some of these materials testing and materials characterization techniques. You won't be the only one to do that, but the way you can differentiate yourself is through soft skills and just, you know, being likable, but being able to work with the team, being adaptable. And I've heard from, you know, multiple people basically, at career fairs, employers will be like, hey, we really wanted to interview your your students, right? But they had all the hard skills necessary, but they just didn't have the soft skills. And that's why we couldn't offer them an interview, couldn't offer them a job. And all I want to say is you don't want to be that person where like you had everything on your resume, you had everything right, but you just didn't have the soft skills or, you know, potentially the leadership experiences that would make you right. different from every other candidate. 
So yeah, I just want to further back what Tom said, leadership positions, particularly in student organizations. I learned so much through my experience as president of Material Advantage. And it was just crazy. Like looking back at it now, before that, I was like, I am not a good leader. Like, I don't even know if I can do this. And kind of just my confidence rose as I figured more things out, dealt with more different difficult circumstances, learned the organization aspect, learned the importance of collaboration, like really leading and inspiring because it's, it's not easy. You know, people have different priorities and you kind of have to figure out a way to connect the dots and explain the why for the importance of your organization. And when you start to figure all that out, you grow personally and you grow professionally. And talking about having to have to grow into something is also really crucial to starting to build into getting those first opportunities to work and be an industry. And a lot of times for us undergraduate students, that comes in the form of an internship or a Mm co-op or more on the research side of the spectrum could be something like an REU. And there are a number of different ways to, to get involved in those opportunities, but like we said earlier, it's not as trivial as just filling out a Google form <laughs> no. and sending an email and being like, hooray. It's not uh, <laughs> and so going into some of those stories are about how we got our first internships and how sort of applying what we've been talking about in this first part of this discussion here. Let's let's unpack that a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> wow, are you a podcaster or something? <laughs> I might be, you know, we'll see. <laughs> let's unpack that. Sure. Yeah. And so, you know, just to talk about my first internship experience in terms of, you know, actually getting it, it was kind of wild. Basically, I was part of a research program my freshman year and Solvay actually sponsored my research. And so when I presented it at our, you know, poster session, our industry day, as you call it, the president of Solvay at that time, you know, very high up C-suite executive went around the presentation day and just started listening to our presentations. And so I was able to have that short conversation with them and really explain, you know, what my research was about and just develop, establish that relationship. And so this is something that that's important for not just your first internship, but for every professional experience, networking is important. And so really like the following year, or maybe it was a couple of years after that, I reached back out to him, just sent him an email, attached my resume. It was like, hey, Solvay seems really cool to me. Um, And this is why I think it'd be a good fit. And we had talked earlier, but this was super awesome. And so he just sent my resume along to different departments. And just from thinking about it, if you get an email from the president of your company saying like this student would be good, you tend to like notice it. Right. (laughs) At that point, I didn't even, I didn't even know he was the president. I just thought he was like, Oh, just a representative from Solve. Yeah. Like I did not know how big he was, but you know, I ended up getting a call from the manager of the polymer characterization labs and it kind of just ended up working out, but really networking is super important and it's important to, continue to establish those relationships and develop them and keep reaching back out. Don't just one-off relationship. It's yeah. it's important to use your resources. Okay. So full disclosure, I didn't realize that that's how you actually ended up getting that opportunity. <laughs> yep, like, that is. <laughs> wow. <laughs> like we've talked about that experience many times, but I had no idea that you just kind of had not your foot in the door, but you had that connection from top down. That's pretty sweet. Yeah. And I don't think I know like the details of your your internship experience or like how you got it. I know some some details, but you got to tell me more. So essentially my first 
let's call it internship was actually working in our make and measure space that was on campus in material science and engineering called the mill. And I spent a summer there working full time. And so that was kind of my first experience, but I was already an established leader within that organization. And, you know, there was, there was a process to apply and everything like that. But, you know, I had a very strong connection (laughs) because I was, I was very heavily involved. I was talking to the professor who was leading the space. And then I was talking to him. I was like, is this something I can do? And he was like, yeah, it would be great, great to have you on board for the summer to work full time. So that was definitely networking made that a very confident surefire thing. And I was kind of already very involved there, but that was sort of a special circumstance and what ended up being a great internship. But, you know, I worked full time in a, you know, something of a lab for a summer and so in the mill, I learned all these great skills about just doing research. And, you know, I did lead a team in some capacity that whole summer, which was another great experience. But, you know, by the end of that summer, I could fill up my resume with most of the major materials of characterization things under the sun, yeah. right? And have a little bit of soft skills to boot, which was great. So in terms of the hard skills, that was really kind of the the foundation that helped me get the industry experience, right? Mm-hmm. And so... One of my friends from a semester previous, he essentially texted me in the fall following that experience in the mill. And he had recently finished up an internship with GE. He said, hey, I think you should apply. I think you'd be a great candidate. I was like, well, first of all, thanks. Appreciate it. Um, but the great thing about it, I was like, second of all, like, how do you think I should go about doing this? And nothing insidious about asking that question. But, you know, every company kind of has their own, for for better and for worse, kind of has their own act about, yeah. you know, how they best try to kind of gather names and try to get the foot in the door sort of thing. But I know for them in particular, they had essentially, and this is very common on university campuses, they had an info session and then they were also showing up to our career fair. It was fall time. It was, as they lovingly called around to your career fair season. And so, (laughs) and that was a great way for me to get my foot in the door. And so he essentially said, go to, go to the info session he was like, just talk to all the recruiters, just just talk to them and see which one's also showing up to the MSE career fair the next yeah. day and try to talk to them again. And they're also personable people. So it's easy to strike up a conversation with them. You know, they're normal people too, which was great. Um, <laughs> and as always, yes, they're human. As always. So <laughs> we know that that really worked is that he said, go to the info session and then try to touch base again that next day with the same person. And then if they can remember your name, out of a sea of a thousand students or whatever at, that these big companies will talk to, then you're you're in a pretty oh, good yeah. shot to at least get an interview. And so that's pretty much how it happened is I had a, a friend who said, these are the two things that you probably need to do to really help set you up to get an interview, go do them and you'll, you'll probably be fairly successful. And it was also great too, to have a friend who worked and just a fellow <laughs> undergrad who worked at one of these companies to say like, Hey, what'd you do? Is this work cool? Is it interesting? Is this something that I could foresee myself doing? And I think a lot of people times give networking this like bad rep for being very, I don't quite know how to describe it, but it's like only giving jobs to your friends sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But it's like, no, there are a bunch of other great things that come with it. And I know for me, it it just definitely helped me understand the process much more simply than a lot of Googling could have done. It saved me time in that way. And it makes sense how you actually ended up giving me a lot of recommendations after both of our first internships. And that's kind of how we both ended up interning at GE last summer, right? And yeah. a lot of what you just said is what you told me. 
you know, go to the info sessions, talk to everybody, then go to the actual career fair, all majors, then go to the MSC career fair. So I ended up talking to, and then we had a material advantage event the next day. So I ended up talking to some of these recruiters like four separate times and obviously (laughs) they'll remember my face then. So yes, that's super, super important and super effective when they can attach a name to a face and and you become recognizable. And, you know, there's value in your network in so many places, right? Whether that be in fellow students or be in the people you meet at your internships or sometimes even like family too, right? I mean, there's a ton of networking opportunities. (laughs) But, you know, I found that one area that I think people really undervalue is this kind of student professor, professional sort of networking relationship thing, Mm -hmm. right? You know, I think people think of professors as being this like monolith that stands in front of the class and you like can't talk to them. No, they only teach you. It's like sort of a one-way street. But also, you know, if you're going to any decently sized engineering school, I mean, you're talking about professors and faculty who are truly experts in their subject matter and, you know, global leaders a lot of times in in that specific field. And if the professor is teaching your class is someone who you think could potentially be a good connection within your network. I mean, try to strike that up. You know, I mean, try to, you know, go to office hours or try to learn more about their research. Professors love talking about their research. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and a lot of times they have a ton of interesting stuff to say about it. And I think further, this goes back to something which I've tried to build in as a philosophy of mine in my last few years of undergrad is trying to make that interaction between student and professor not to be so kind of this combative relationship, right? Like mm-hmm. the professor's trying to throw a grade at you that you don't want. And mm-hmm. they're trying to make you stressed out with all this homework and all these exams. And I think people frame that very combatively usually, yes. right? And mm-hmm. I, I think that's terrible. And I think 99.9% of professors, there are some who are not quite like that, but the vast, vast, vast majority of them really want this cooperative side of the student-professor interaction, right? They want to help you grow. They want to help you develop. They want to see you become the best material science and engineer, the best, you know, mechanical engineer, the best economist, the best English major, you name it. They want you to be the best in your field. And so realize that. And so just be cooperative with your professors, right? Realize they're, they're in your corner. And if you think there's an element of them being in your corner that can help you or that can be of assistance to you in this sort of networking scheme, go seek that out. It'll really benefit you. And also there's just a number of benefits there, which are just... Oh yeah. No, I completely agree. And I, to be quite honest, I really wish that I developed more relationships with with professors from the mentor standpoint or the professional standpoint throughout my four five-year career at school, it it was almost like I felt like a little bit scared to go to the professor, especially during office hours and have that one-on-one conversation because I would just think, oh, like, I don't know anything that's going on in this class until like the day before the test, right? And then Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, what can I talk about? But really they're, you know, they're humans too. And they they would want to talk about anything. They just want to help you. And it's not like they're aiming to fail you or to give you a bad grade. You know, that's not at all what it is. And so these professors have like a bunch of experience, whether that's from the academic standpoint, but also the industry standpoint, a lot of them have both experiences. And so it is super helpful. And it's not like if you are looking to go to the industry, then you shouldn't talk to professors. That's not how it should be. That's not how it is. They even have some contacts available. So I personally wish that I developed more relationships with professors in my time here at school. And it can, it can be tough. And I, 
I especially think part of the problem with that is is especially in that probably that first year in particular, right? Especially as an engineering student, a lot of the classes you're taking are massive, right? Yeah. I mean, I know my physics class, my first year, just our one lecture, I think we were actually in the same class, was 250 students just yeah. in the hall, right? Yeah. And then that same professor was teaching four separate sections. Yes. So he was like managing over a thousand students in a semester. Yeah. And in that setting, unless you really, 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 really want to drive a connection with a professor, <laughs> That can be difficult. Like you have to be super overt in that setting to do so. Mm-hmm. And especially a field like material science and engineering, our school is so small, relatively speaking, to the other mm-hmm. engineering schools that yeah. even if you show up to class and kind of sit in the front like three rows, if you introduce yourself enough times, like there's kind of the whole name with the face thing that'll just kind of happen naturally. Yeah. And you know, if you're able to have a couple of good conversations, maybe share a good podcast with them or, <laughs> you know, or if you find some good article online about, well, I like reading about batteries for some reason, even though it's totally not something I've studied a whole lot. Like if that's a research area, send them the article. And there are a number of ways to really help solidify that connection. And as you move beyond your second year of an undergraduate education or Heck, if you're in a professional development side of education or graduate school, I mean, those environments are so much smaller that those connections can certainly be easier to cultivate just based on some classroom experiences and moving beyond that. And that kind of reminds me, like, there have been multiple times where I even struggled to think about who is the right person to reach out to at this point in my in my life from the personal standpoint yeah. and the professional standpoint. And it's not an easy decision. You shouldn't just like go all willy nilly and just connect with people on LinkedIn, talk to every single professor. That's just not an efficient use of your time. And it's almost wasting other people's time as well. And so I think that from both the definitely personally, but also professionally, it's important to continuously reflect on where you're at in life and where you want to be. Just recently over quarantine, I kind of had this almost like a quarter life crisis, right? Where I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. I think, you know, Tom is, he's, he's putting his hand up. (laughs) He's like, I I feel you, but um, (laughs) yeah, it was, it definitely wasn't easy to deal with, but reflecting, I, I even have a journal where I just like wrote down what my values are, you know, and, and ordered them and was just like, okay, here's where I want to make an impact. Here's why I want to make that impact. And just having that continuous time to reflect and figure out what went well and what didn't go well is super important to just keep moving forward. And I think that also translates to deciding your next step in your career too, right? You can figure out who to reach out to. You can figure out who the best person is that can help progress your career. And that's why it's important to have that self-awareness and to continuously look back and see what's working and what's not working. 100%. And I really like that whole point about ordering your priorities and making sure your values are in order, for lack of better words. Mm -hmm. I think that stuff is super important because I was listening to another show, but they did this whole episode about, they called it a priority stack. Mm -hmm. But it's this really interesting way of thinking about that. It's just super important to set your priorities for what you care about in different aspects of your life. And You know, I know when I was looking into my next step coming out of undergrad, I had a, you know, as it pertained to grad school, I kind of had a list of my priorities that mattered there. And for industry, I had a certain list of priorities that mattered. And perhaps I should have meshed them together a little bit more. And I think that was sort of a mistake on my part. But, you know, thinking about what mattered when I was considering different opportunities and saying, how do these different things stack up? And so, and it's a great way of framing it because, 
there's a lot of priorities to consider when making any complex decision, right? You can't just, and maybe this is a little bit of a digression, but it is it, self-reflection is just super important, especially as I also navigated a you know <laughs> one or two quarter life crises this year. So I'm I'm with you there. I know we, yeah, I know we talked about that a lot this year, but just knowing what your priorities are means that if you're able to hit your first objective, your top priority, then that's great. But you know, if you aren't maybe able to satisfy the third or fourth thing, which could still be very important, but not your number one thing. That's okay. You can't lose sleep over that fact. If someone's trying to knock you for the fact that maybe low on your priority is the weather, right? And let's say you want to go move to, no offense to Calgary, but let's say Calgary, Canada, right? Like, (laughs) I don't know. And someone's like, well, the weather there is terrible. How the heck are you going to do that? It's like, well, I'm sorry, friend, but like weather is low on my priority stack. And that's, don't knock me for that because that's just not as important to me. Um, (laughs) Completely agree with that. And the way you framed it, priority stacks is very effective. And just one little thing to add on to that is keep it visible as much as you can. I try to print out my short-term and long-term goals and just keep that in front of me, whether that's in my workspace or in my room. And that's something where as long as it's in front of me, as long as I see it every day, it kind of keeps that mindset the same. And you're not focused on oh, getting this this homework done and getting these minute tasks done when you could better spend your time like working on your long-term goals, like the job search or your side project that's doing really well, right? Yeah. So it's just good to keep that all in perspective. Let's talk about better tools to establish that network and continue your learning because being a lifelong learner is integral part of developing as a professional, right? And so the first thing that comes to mind when you think of networking from a social media standpoint is hopefully LinkedIn, right? That's kind of the, the obvious thing. And one thing that's really worked for me from that regard is if I have target companies in mind, which I definitely do, there's a lot of really good companies out there for the industry that that I want to make an impact in, really just search the name of the company, find their page, and then go to the people section on that page and search for the role that you're super interested in and really just ask people to connect, check their profile, see if it's the role that you're looking for, and then send them a message, You know, invite them to connect ask for a quick 15 to 20 minute chat. A lot of people really want to help you. And I've developed a lot of really cool relationships with people just by having this quick chat. And it's really made me more motivated to get the jobs that these people have. So they have the experience and they want to help you. So just use that to your advantage and potentially use them to learn more about the role. Don't go in there expecting for a job. Please don't do that. But just keep continuing to learn and establish those relationships. And again, do the thing where you share a podcast with them, where you share articles with them and develop that relationship. Don't just let it be a one-off thing. That's the whole point of networking. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You don't want it to be one-off and you also don't want it to be transactional. So there's this sort of in between. And I would say something else about being a better networker is being organized about it. Mm-hmm. And there are a number of great ways to do this. And I know one of them, you know, I think all throughout my undergraduate experience, I had a great calendar management system. Like I used just the calendar that was on my computer, but something I didn't do for lack of better words, religiously until the semester was make sure that my personal email calendar and like my computer calendar were totally integrated together. Mm-hmm. And because we've gone totally virtual and this is the, we're in this very virtual native environment. Like for me, meeting invites have become the name of the game. 
you oh, yeah. know, you, you send, and the, the main reason why is because you want to send that link where you're supposed to meet at that time. So whether that's like a zoom link or like a blue jeans link or, or whatever, you name it, like having that link to say, this is where we're meeting, or even if it's just like a, here's my phone number, super helpful. Yes. Um, and also make sure that your calendar is streamlined. You don't double book anything and you know what your priorities are going into a day that, oh, I potentially have a, you know, sort of a networking flavored call coming up and I want to make sure I'm in the right mindset to not perform on that call, but make sure I'm in a good professional space to do so. And it gets the other person on the same page as you in terms of that organization thing, you know? So that's why calendar invites are super good, especially from the workplace setting, but also from the personal setting as well. And speaking of that video, you know, just even if you're in a group call, um, especially if it's, it's something that can progress your career, advance your career, turn on your video. Like it's just (laughs) people love seeing your faces. And, you know, we've, we've heard stories of people who actually end up getting a job or really getting noticed because they're the only ones that turn on their video um, when everybody else kind of keeps it turned off. And when you can see someone's face, you can attach it to a name again, that really works wonders. It's, it's crazy how that, that works, but the professional world is still very social world and that's how you you establish those connections. Oh yeah, and there's 100% some psychology there that like you remember a face before you remember a name. It's also in the classroom setting currently concerning how virtual we are. I know I was in a course this semester where I was the only person who'd regularly turn on my camera. And <laughs> you know, part of me felt like, oh my God, I'm such a nerd, right? Like I'm the one person <laughs> who's turning on my camera besides the professor. And I was like, oh man, I'm, I'm really that guy. But also... I think it was great. Like I hundred percent don't regret it. And, you know, the professor and I, we kind of had a repertoire already going because I'd taken a course with him previously, mm-hmm. but I think we continued to strengthen it, especially this semester. You know, I was kind of the one asking more questions than other people. Cause I already felt like I was kind of for lack of better words yeah. in the room yeah. and it was helpful. And, you know, and then later on in that semester, I was looking for advice about sort of that question of industry versus grad school. And I was able to call him up and it was great. Whereas like if you if you kind of kept your mouth shut the entire course and you kept the video off, then he would be like, who is this? You know, you yeah. probably still say yes, because he's such a great guy, but it's you've still established that relationship. And he was probably more than happy to have that chat with you and just talk about your life. You know, and going back to that whole topic of learning is making this show is a great way for me to learn personally as we bring mm-hmm. on all these people from oh, yeah. various parts of the industry and get their input. But also if you don't necessarily have a recurring way of hearing from people, you know, another set of great tools are coming about online for curated online coursework. And the two that come to mind is, so one like LinkedIn learning is something which is fantastic. And depending mm-hmm. on what your school is, they it. may have, yeah. yeah, no. And depending on what your school is, they may already have sort of a subscription to it. So you can plug into it, you know, free of charge or your company might as well. So I guess see, see your <laughs> respective organizations for details. But And before you um, get into the, the second one, just another yeah. thing to add to LinkedIn learning is it's really cool because you can, once you finish a course, you can add that as a, you know, certification onto your profile too. So other people can see it. You know, if there's recruiters checking your, your LinkedIn page, that looks really good because it shows that you're you're a lifelong learner and that you have the work ethic where it's not just like, oh, I'm only doing this because this was an assignment that was given to me. It was a deadline that was assigned to me, but this is you stepping out of what's been assigned to you and 
going ahead and learning something, learning by doing, taking these classes. And that, that looks really good too. It shows your work ethic. It shows a strong work ethic. Yeah, totally agree on that. And yeah, but then of course, you know, if you're going to put this thing on your LinkedIn page or whatever, you need to also make sure you have the skill solidly enough in place to back yeah, it up. So don't absolutely. go just go thrumming, <laughs> thumbing through one of those things, get the certification. It's like, no, 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 no. No, don't do that. Yeah, no. <laughs> but it is a great platform and um, certainly something that I took advantage of that sort of minimally at different times in undergrad, but certainly there are other ways to do that outside of if your institution or company or organization, you name it, doesn't have access to those sorts of things. The other platforms like Udemy, which are coming up and Coursera, and you can buy like a whole curated course. You know, it has a lot of times like exercise files, it has videos and the whole nine yards. And I know I did one of those a couple of years ago to like learn Python just for fun. And it was great, really helped. Oh yeah, no, I want to do that. I mean, you just mentioned Python, but as we've mentioned in previous episodes, machine learning, you know, computational material science, AI, that's all going to be really important for the future of this field in particular, material science and engineering. And so it's good to establish that fundamental understanding of potentially Python or another coding language and then machine learning and then continue to develop your understanding there. I think that's, that's really good that you did that. And I, I want to do that in the future as well. So Tom, I need you to bottom line it for me. You know, we, I know we tell our guests all, this all the time, but now it's, now it's up to you, Tom, you know, <laughs> to me. So, wow. <laughs> I mean, it's up to me too, but you, you can go first. So what's the one or two things you would like for our listeners to take away from this conversation about professional development? I mean, thank you for having me, Puneet. This has been a tremendous <laughs> honor. No, absolutely. I think the two things which coming into this conversation, I really wanted to make sure that I emphasized, which was, first of all, this hands-on learning element. You know, I had my experiences in the mill, which is our make and measure space in material science and engineering and at GE, and then now moving on into industry, going to be working with Texas Instruments. And that's all hands-on learning. And I'm super excited about all of that. And, you know, especially my undergraduate education, I would say, take those opportunities to learn hands-on, no matter what that looks like. And for lack of better words, try to do that sooner rather than later, because yeah. you'll learn learning by doing before you learn it in the classroom sometimes makes that learning in the classroom just so much more fruitful. And so I'd say that's my first bottom line point is learn hands-on however you can and do that whenever you can, as long as it's something you're interested in, of course. So yeah. do that one. And I would say my second thing is making sure that student-professor relationship is more cooperative rather than combative. And I think it comes from both sides of the spectrum, potentially, but especially in the student perspective, realize that you know your professor is not there to slam a grade on you that you don't want and to make your life terrible with exams and homeworks and you name it, right? They're there to be in your corner as both a let's, let's call it a profit of knowledge and <laughs> a great networking opportunity potentially if, if they're in a field that you're interested in. And so I'd say if there is something there that you think would be of value to you, to your knowledge, just, just work on building those connections also within your university. You don't, if you're an undergrad, you don't have to just make connections in industry. Like that's just, yes. you do not need to stop there. It can be anywhere. Yeah. No, I completely agree with both of those sentiments. And just to add on to that, I would say my two things are one, self-reflection is super important. And two, it's important to 
grow your network and continue to develop your existing relationships. So from the reflection standpoint, con continue to find time to see um, what's been a positive and what you can improve upon. And don't just keep going with something just because it's hard to change or because um, that's yeah. just how it's been the whole time, you know, make adjustments and that's how you improve every single day. Yes. Adapt, <laughs> <laughs> improvise, overcome. <laughs> and from the, from the networking standpoint, while it's good to continue to build new relationships, it's just as important to develop existing ones and reach out to the people that you've already had these friendships with or these professional relationships with, they can continue to be of help. So yes, just to summarize personal reflection and develop your, your network. You don't have to do this all alone and it's much easier, much more effective when you, you have a team around you, you know, the board of directors as someone would say. So yeah, that's, that's just our bottom line for this, this episode of professional development. And thank you all for joining us on this, you know, slightly different episode of the It's a Material Worlds podcast. We like to speak from our experiences, from what we've learned so far and in our journeys as material science engineers. And so since this is a little bit of a new episode, we'll also be looking to solicit feedback on this one. So feel free to drop us a line all the usual places, LinkedIn, Instagram. But long story short, we'll be soliciting feedback on this episode. So let us know what you like. Let us know what you didn't. Uh, and this is something we're considering doing more of looking forward to intermix with our regularly scheduled <laughs> expert interview yes. programs. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the It's a Material Worlds podcast. We look forward to releasing our next episode in two weeks. Please subscribe to our podcast feed in your favorite podcast app, so that you never miss an episode and tell your friends about our show on social media. But until then, if you want to hear from us, we are on LinkedIn, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. Follow or subscribe to us on those platforms to keep up to date with all things It's Material Worlds between our episodes. Links to our social media sites will also be in the show notes. If you have any feedback, we would love to hear it. We are just getting started with a podcast and want to grow this show with our community's input. You can send us feedback through messaging on any of our social media sites. We'd also love to hear your comments through reviews on Apple Podcasts. But until then, take care and stay healthy.